I want to continue our series on the victorious Christian, and I want to talk about the importance of prayer and victory. Uh, there, there's not going to be a lot of victory if you don't fight your battles on your knees, quite frankly. Uh, listen to what some other people have said, some, some folks that we just hold in high regard as followers of Christ. F.B. Meyer said, the greatest tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer, but un- unoffered prayer. R.A. Torrey said, when the devil sees a man or a woman who really believes in prayer, who knows how to pray, and who really does pray, and above all, when the devil sees a whole church on its face before God in prayer, he trembles as much as he ever did, for he knows that his day in that church or community is at an end. Andrew Murray said, do not strive in your own strength. Cast yourself at the feet of the Lord Jesus and wait upon him in the sure confidence that he is with you and works in you. Strive in prayer. Let faith fill your heart. So will you be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. John Bunyan said, you can do more than prayer. uh, You can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Prayer often, uh, pray often, for prayer is the shield to your soul. It is a sacrifice to God and a scourge to Satan. Ian Bounds said this, prayer honors God. It acknowledges his being. It exalts his power. It adores his providence and secures his aid. Philip Yancey said, if God doesn't want something from me, I shouldn't want it either. Spending time in meditative prayer, getting to know God, helps align my desires with God's. Woodrow Kroll said, fervent prayers produce phenomenal results. Leonard Ravenhill said, no man is greater than his prayer life. The pastor who is not praying is playing, and the people who are not praying are straying. Corey Ten Boom said, don't pray when you feel like it. Have an appointment with the Lord and keep it. A man is powerful on his knees. And Billy Graham said, prayer is simply a two-way conversation between you and God. No matter how dark and hopeless a situation might seem, never stop praying. We were created to live a life of prayer. Prayer is the Christian's greatest weapon. We can change the course of events if we go to our knees in believing prayer. And the list could go on and on and on. Great men and women of God have understood the power of prayer to change things, not only for their own life, but for the lives of others and even nations and cultures. And if you're going to be a victorious Christian, you're going to need to learn to pray victoriously. And that's what I want us to talk about. If you're physically able to to do so, stand with me this morning. We'll read our passage from Luke 11, beginning in verse 5. And he, that is Jesus, said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me, the door is not shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot uh, get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impotence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. What, the fa- uh, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Lord Jesus, would you take this passage and would you speak deeply into our souls this morning? Father, would you use it to convict us about the importance of prayer? And would you teach us about prayer today? We come to you. Lord, we confess that we really don't know how to do it as we ought to. But Father, you have given us some gifts that enable us uh, to seek you, uh, to ask and to knock. Uh, Help us to persist and to endure in that. And so, Father, today I pray uh, as we prepare for seasons of prayer that you will move in our hearts, move in our lives, Father, you will compel us and convict us and give us a deeper and greater desire to seek you in prayer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Now, we didn't read verses 1 through 4, but let me tell you, it's important to understand verses 1 to 4 
in order to understand verses 5 and following. Verses 1 to 4, the, the disciples, they had been with Jesus, and they had seen Jesus pray, and they had seen the impact of Jesus' prayers. And, and, and so they come to Jesus, and they say, teach us to pray. Teach us how to pray. That's a good thing. And Jesus doesn't mind teaching his disciples how to pray. And so he gives them this prayer, a prayer, quite frankly, that you probably have uh, repeated, and it's been repeated many times. It is a prayer that you might say is the model prayer. It isn't a prayer that you have to pray in order to always connect with God, but it is a model prayer. Jesus is teaching them the elements, you might say, of effective prayer. And so he, he, calls, to them, he calls them to, uh, to understand this particular prayer, verses 1 through uh, 4. And so he gives them this pattern. Uh, and, and then after he gives them this pattern prayer, he moves into the passage that we just read. And there he begins to give them some principles about prayer. He talks about the process of, of prayer, and, and he illustrates to them the, uh, the importance of sticking with it, of staying at it. He drives home this point that uh, uh, prayer is something that needs to uh, be characterized by endurance and consistency. And so the whole point is that the person who... Uh, who prays must be sincere, and they must be committed to that process and, and that will cause them to persist in seeking the Lord. So this morning, let's dive a little deeper into this teaching that Jesus is giving uh, his followers and, of course, us by extension. First thing I want us to look at is the, that Jesus' parable teaches us a couple of things. Uh, let's look at this parable by Jesus um, in verse 5. The story itself doesn't require a great deal of exegetical explanation. It's very practical, and uh, uh, the parables were always Jesus' way of driving home an important point in a way that you and I could understand it. So he would give them a story. I, I, I use illustrations. Most preachers will use illustrations in their sermon. The illustrations are meant to help us capture the meaning of what's being taught. Well, that's what Jesus is actually doing here. He's giving them a story, a parable, and the parable is designed so that when they hear it, they'll go, hmm, I get it. I understand what, what the Lord uh, is trying to, to teach us. And so that's what's going on here. Uh, and, and I think there, there are a lot of truths we can uh, pull from this parable, but there are two things that I think are key above all else that I want you to see. The first is that Jesus is t teaching through this parable that we should pray, when we pray, we should pray boldly. That we should pray boldly. Uh, I don't know if y'all been paying attention to the news, but prayer's been in the news this past week. Uh, a, a former coach of Bremerton, Washington High School um, was fired from his job uh, back in 2015 for pray. And his practice was that after the games, he would go to the 50-yard the line and he would kneel and he would pray by himself. He didn't require or coerce any of the other players, but players started joining him. They started coming and praying with him. And a parent didn't like it and filed a complaint with the school board. And the school board comes back and says, this is coercive because kids feel like they have to come pray with you when you pray or they won't get to play. I mean, that's a, a, a capsulized thing. He said, I haven't asked any students, nor am I asking, but they're welcome to pray with me if they want to, but I'm not asking that or requiring that for anybody on this team, regardless of whatever they're their spiritual persuasion is. He said, it's just something I do to honor my Lord. And so the, the high school said, well, we want you to quit. He, he wouldn't quit doing that, and so they fired him. Consequently, uh, there were lawsuits filed about freedom, uh, his freedom of expression, of religious expression, and, and consequently, uh, it went through one uh, court and then was appealed and went on until finally it, this past week was taken up by the Supreme Court. We don't know what their outcome will be, uh, right now, but they're deliberating on whether this coach uh, was, was improperly dealt with because he was praying in a public place uh, to God. And by the way, how, how ironic that is, right? I mean, that it's got to the point that if you pray publicly and somebody doesn't like it publicly, they can shut the system down regardless of your rights. That's a foreshadowing of what's coming, okay? That's another matter altogether, but that sort of thing is coming. But I think it's a pretty bold act. He wasn't doing it to show off. He wasn't doing it to make a statement. 
Uh, he was waiting till the game was over and, and uh, everything was done, and then he would go out there and, and do that. But it's pretty bold, isn't it? It's pretty bold when they tell you if you do it, you're going to lose your job. And he did, uh, consequently. Now, praying boldly does not always mean praying publicly like that coach did. So I, let me just say that. It doesn't mean you've got to make a show, or you, uh, which he wasn't trying to do, or that you've got to do it in such a way that it's in everybody's face. That's not necessarily bold. He was bold. So was the person in this story that went to their friend, right? That's pretty bold. In the middle of the night, I mean, he goes to a friend, knocks on their door, Wakes them up, say, hey, I need something. I've got some guests coming tomorrow, and I need some, I need some supplies. And so and that's pretty bold, isn't it? And one of the things that Jesus wants us to understand is the importance of praying boldly. Um, she came again in the middle of the night. She didn't come at the happy hour, whatever that would be. She came at the inconvenient and the unpleasant hour. Uh, it was the hour that disrupted the norm. Bold praying will disrupt your schedule. Bold praying will disrupt your, your schedule. And she had a need, and that need was, uh, was weighing on her, and she couldn't wait to a more reasonable hour. I mean, I guess somebody might say, well, you know, she could have still got been satisfied. Her need could have been satisfied. She could have waited till, waited till the morning, but the burden was great. And that's the point Jesus is saying, because one of the prayer mistakes that we often make is not that we never pray, but that we often put prayer off until a better time. I'm going to pray, but I'm going to wait till a more convenient time. It was her boldness that got her friend's attention, wasn't it? And uh, you heard uh, just a, a few moments ago in the, uh, in the video, Hebrews 4.16, that says, So let us come boldly or confidently to the throne of our gracious God, because there we will receive his mercy and we'll find grace to help us when we need it the most. And so uh, the parable teaches us to pray boldly. The second thing the parable teaches us is that not only should we pray boldly, but we should pray believing. You see, the approach of this woman indicates not only her boldness in going at midnight, but it also illustrates her beliefs. You see, she knew, and he knew, if it man or uh, uh, he knew that that the friend had what he didn't have. He knew that the friend could supply his need. So he, he goes there. Another one of our common mistakes in prayer is that we pray hopefully rather than confidently. We you know, I've told you before that in the Greek, the word hope doesn't mean exactly what it tends to mean in the English language. When we use hope, we're using it kind of wishfully. I, I'm hoping that something turns out a certain way. In the Greek, it generally means it's a certainty. It can be a wishful kind of expression, but it generally means it's based on kind of this, this assurance. And, and so um, when, when the need is presented... It is presented with this kind of confident assurance. So I'm going to the friend. The friend has what I need, and the friend can provide uh, what I need. And so it's not a kind of maybe he's got it and maybe he doesn't. This guy, when he goes to his friend, he goes with the knowledge that his friend has everything that he needs. There's this confidence in that. Jesus said this, he said in Mark chapter 11, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Prayer is not, listen, prayer is not hoping that God can meet our needs. Prayer is believing God can and will meet our needs. And we have to be careful because sometimes we pray like this. We say, Lord, here's what my need is and um, I, I, I pray that uh, if it is your will. We kind of tag that on. A lot of times, let's be honest, that's a safety valve, you know? So I say, Lord, if it is your will, I ask you to do this. Now, I'm going to talk about toward the end of the message, how, do we, how can we know we're praying in God's will? But a lot of times, we kind of tag something on there, and that's just to protect our reputation. Listen, the, the Bible tells us that we're to come boldly to the throne of, of grace, and we're to lay our request before God. It isn't up to us as to whether God is going to answer that. It's up to God. And people have asked me through the year, why does God heal some people and not heal others? And here's my answer. I don't know. And he doesn't have to explain himself to me. But I do know he tells us to pray for healing, right? 
and uh, pray for one another. And so I want to be obedient and do that sort of thing. I'll let him determine how he wants to respond to that. Our, our responsibility is to obey in prayer. We leave the results up to God. But I tell you, there, there won't be any results if we don't seek him first. And so, and, and so we come to him believing. And by the way, believing doesn't mean we go, well, I believe he can do it. Sometimes, okay, this is the hopeful element that we sometimes insert. Well, I believe he, I know he can do it, but that's another way of kind of protecting our reputation. But if I pray, what if I pray for somebody's healing and God doesn't heal? What am I going to look like? Well, you must not be very spiritual. You offered a prayer and it didn't happen. Once again, we go back to one thing. That's God's call. Our responsibility is to be... So I sometimes have to be careful that I'm not saying, well, I know he can do it, but, or praying like that, we know he can do it, we know God can do it, but a lot of times that statement itself is, but I don't really expect him to, right? And so we have to be careful. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's, He's saying, you come to me, and you are aligned with my purposes, you bring your request, I'll take it from there. And so uh, we believe, not as in, I know he can do it, but he probably won't. But I believe. I'm coming to him in, in confidence and trust and dependence. Okay, the second thing I want you to see this morning is Jesus' process of prayer. So that's the, that's the parable. Let's look at the process. Ask, seek, and knock is the process. Uh, and Jesus tells us uh, these three things are the key to victorious prayer. Ask, seek, and knock. Um, there was a huge company, I don't know if they still exist, several years ago in Chicago, and it's one of these companies, and they handle magazine subscriptions. You know, most magazines don't actually handle all their subscriber stuff. They farm that out to a company that will send you renewals and send you solicitations to sign up for their magazine. And several years ago, this company, and it's all computer-generated, so they were, they were representing National Geographic uh, as one of their magazines that they... Um, they represented, and, and there, there was a man, uh, a, a farmer in Powder Bluff, Colorado. And something happened with the computer at this Chicago company, and it malfunctioned. And this man in Powder Bluff, Colorado, got 9,734 separate mailings informing him that his subscription to National Geographic had expired. 9,734 individual reminders that his subscription uh, uh, was about to expire. Now, here's the interesting thing. He had never subscribed to National Geographic. But he's got these 9,000 reminders, and when when uh, when he finally got them, he dropped what he was doing. He traveled 10 miles to the nearest post office, he sent in money for a subscription along with a note that said, all right, I give up. Send me the magazine. <laughs> but you know, it's kind of a humorous story, a real story, kind of humorous, but there is something about multiple requests that brings answers, aren't there? And, and for reasons known only to God, that also tr- uh, is also true when it comes to this matter of prayer. And when he says ask, seek, and knock, each of these are in what we call the present tense in the Greek. So it means this, ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. Literally, he's saying this process just continues. It just repeats. You just continue to ask and you continue to seek and you continue knocking. And there are three things that I want you to see about this process. First of all, asking is about communication with God. Asking is about communication with God. There's no real dynamic in a relationship if there's no communication. We had the joy this past Friday night, Alice and I did, of uh, speaking for a little bit to um, our, one of our young couples' uh, uh, Sunday morning uh, small groups, which has really become a very large group. And, uh, but they'd asked us to talk about 40 years of marriage. Alice and I have been married for 40 years and what we've learned and some s- stuff like that. And we, we talked about that. And key in what we talked about was this whole word communication. And I, I shared them. Really, uh, uh, about three of the four things that we shared were all about communication. Communication is so essential to healthy relationships. Now, that's true in your relationship with God as well. 
You see, God knows all your needs. Okay, we know that. But he wants you to talk to him about those needs. Why is that? It is because of relationship. God really does love you. I love what Max Lucado said many years ago. He said, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. He really loves you. He wants this kind of dynamic relationship with you, and prayer is a part of that. When I began, when the Lord began to burden my heart about what we're doing beginning today, this seasons of prayer matter, he put one verse on my, my heart, John, uh, James 4, 2, and, and which says, you have not because you ask not. You have not because you ask not. Uh, our grandson, you know, I, I, I look for any way I can to talk about our grandson because we love our grandkids, and our oldest one, Bodie, he is in big time into trains and trucks. In fact, he's coming down here in a couple of weeks, and he reminded me this past week, Pops, I'm coming to see you to do Touch a Truck at, at one of the Landmark Park. They do a thing each year called Touch a Truck, and he's into trucks and trains, and, you know, they can get on, crawl on them and touch them and ride in them and own tractors and all. He's into all that stuff, but particularly into these little trains. They're just real small little trains. They run on a wooden track. And we just love buying them for him. He gets so excited about, and it doesn't even have to be the little train. We can just get him some little bridge or something. He just, he loves all that stuff. And so we're always looking for opportunities to give him train stuff, you know. And it was so funny, the last time uh, we got to talking about this, he said, he said, Pops, he said, will you get me and he named this little little steam engine train. And he said, would you give me the steam engine train for my, for my birthday? And I said, well, Bodie, your birthday's a long ways out, September. I said, that's a long way. He said, well, would you get it for me for Christmas? I said, Christmas is even further, buddy. And he said, he said what's the next holiday, Pops? <laughs> and so... Uh, we've even, we've even conspired, Alice and I have, to create holidays, <laughs> like Grandson's Day. You know, those are, why is that? Because when he comes, look, and he says, Pop, would you get me a train? Would you get me this little steam train? I'm going to come up with a reason. You know what my answer is going to be. Duh, yes. I'll get you that train. You see, there's something, though, about him asking that reminds me of dependence and his love. I'll go to Pops. And there's something about responding to him that says, I love you. And he says, and by the way, when he says, Pops, I love you, man, I'll get him anything I can. And there's just something about that dynamic. Are, are you with me? You see? What the, now think about that. I'm an imperfect grandfather. Uh, uh, I was an imperfect dad. But God is a perfect father. And he loves you. He loves you. And he loves it when you depend on him. Because you know what you're doing? You're communicating to him. You're saying, God, I love you. And I know you have what I need. You, have, you can supply what I need. And you know what? When I give that little train to Bodie, guess what? He gets excited. I can't tell you what that does for me. It makes me happy when I see joy in him. And that's the way our relationship with God is. It's not a carte blanche. Okay, I'm going to ask God for anything. I'll get to that in just a, a bit. But it is this thing of dependence, communication with God. God loves it when we ask him about uh, meeting our needs and our desires because he loves us to depend upon him. So asking is about communicating. Seeking, this is number two, seeking is about connecting with God. And here's what connecting about. You say, is that the same thing? Well, it's a variation of it, I guess you might say. But connecting is about going deeper with God. You can have a lot of surface communication, right? And right now, you know, at my age and Bodie's age, it's pretty surface communication, Right? But connecting is when you begin to go deep. You go deep with a person. And that is what seeking God is all about. It's more than just saying, okay, God, here's, the need. here's, my, here's what I, I'm asking you. This is about God. I'm seeking you. And by the way, Jeremiah the prophet said, if you seek him with all your heart, you will find him. He will be found by you because he wants to be found. Seeking is about connecting. It's about going deeper. It's an element of prayer that we frequently miss. 
God wants you for, to pray for, for reasons more than just listening your, your needs to Him. In other words, God says there's more to this thing than just your needs. God wants you praying so you'll gain a deeper understanding of who He is. Now listen to this. Oswald Chambers, one of the great devotional writers, I read his stuff early this morning, my utmost for his highest, but listen to what Oswald Chambers once wrote. He said, whenever the, the insistence on the point that God answers prayer, when we insist, in other words, on the point that God answers prayer, we're off track in prayer. Now that sounds a little odd, doesn't it? Because we all believe God answers prayer. Here's what he's saying. If, if, if all you've got is God answers prayer, I believe God answers prayer, you're missing something. And then he goes on to add, the meaning of prayer is that we get hold of God, not that we get hold of the answer. Do you get that? That we get hold of God, not hold of the answer. Because a lot of times God's answer is not your answer. It's not the way you would answer it. But the going deep with him, the, the seeking him is a way that you begin to go deeper and you connect with him and you start getting a hold of God. And I want to tell you something. When you do that, you're going to find something out that it's far more satisfying to get a hold of God than get a hold of the answer. So seeking is more than just convincing God to answer our prayer. And then the third uh, process, knocking, it is about commitment to God. It's about your commitment to God. The idea here is that we don't give up in prayer. And the picture here is that the man, uh, or if it's a woman, we're not really sure it says causing him, but there are others. It doesn't matter. The person is what Jesus is talking about. The picture here is that this, this man is banging on the door, and he doesn't let up until the friend responds. Now, this is not, you have to be careful with the, the parable side of this that you don't stretch it beyond its meaning. The point is not to harass God. You got to harass God for something. The point is commitment and persistence to the process of, of asking and seeking and knocking. And the picture here is of this, this guy going to his friend. It's midnight, and he starts banging on the door. And the kids are down. You're down. Who is that at midnight? Who is that? And the idea is, oh, let's just, let's just lay here and maybe they'll go away. Have you ever done that sort of stuff? Maybe not at night, but somebody's come knocking on your door. Y'all are good Christian and, and you're Baptist, which doesn't get you anything. Uh, but you... you you would never do that. You know, when somebody knocks on your door, go, don't answer it. Y'all would never do that, would you? Yeah. That's the picture here. Don't answer it. It's that guy from down the street. It's midnight. I'm not going there. I'm in my PJs. I'm not going there. You get up and go see who it is. You know, that's, if somebody doesn't go, he's not going to quit. It's that picture of, this is the picture here, and Jesus is saying to us the importance of commitment to the prayer process. Listen, the fact is much of our praying falls short simply because we lack commitment. We lack persistence. And I want to tell you something, when you start praying, there's a spiritual war going on. I mean, spiritual war is going on all the time. But when you start praying, it gets activated on a different level. How do we know that? Well, in the book of Daniel, chapters 9 and 10, the Bible says that Daniel went and set his face before God. That means he started praying and he's seeking God. And guess what? Uh, there, it, it, it goes on to talk about this spiritual war that gets activated because, just because of Daniel's prayer. And behind the scenes, Daniel doesn't know it, but the, the answer is delayed. And the reason it's delayed is not that it didn't get there. It's because the answer uh, returning uh, is being engaged in spiritual warfare. In other words, the enemy, the devil, and his henchmen are trying to keep it from getting back to Daniel. How do we know that? Listen, 
In chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, then he said to me, this is the angel messenger who comes to Daniel. He says, fear not, Daniel, for, listen, from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come to you because of your words. So he says, he says from the time you began praying, your words were heard. He says, but... But I'm here to tell you what happened. What, what, why the delay? And then he says, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood, withstood me. He's talking about the spiritual demonic forces. They withstood me. 21 days. He said, the answer, we're, I'm on the way with the answer, and there's this spiritual war that is engaged. But Michael, Michael the archangel, one of the chief princes of God, came to help me. For I was left there with the kings of Persia. He's talking about the spiritual war going on. He said, man, this this war was so great trying to get God's answer to you. God heard it that this battle was engaged. You say, Pastor, you understand all that? No, I don't. I just know it's real. And Paul talks about the reality of that battle. So there's this battle going on when you pray. And here's the deal. Here's why I tell you that. A lot of failure in praying is because we just give up. We just quit praying. Well, I ain't got an answer. How long have you been praying? Two days. I, 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 you know, I've been praying 10 days and nothing. I see nothing happening. 21 days here, and I would say that's probably relatively quick. But we just give up. We quit. Now, that's where a lot of our failure is. That we don't stay committed. And that's when he says knocking. Knocking is about staying committed to the process, staying committed to stay at it until. Alice and I had been married only I guess a couple of years, maybe three years. I was in Dothan in the early 80s. I was a youth pastor in this area, and we were called to Florida. That's when we began our ministry down in Florida, and we went, moved down to, to uh, Clearwater, Florida, and we had to have a place to live. We had a house here we needed to sell. We put it on the market. The market wasn't like markets today, and nothing was moving. Uh, that was back in the days. If you got 12% interest rate, you got an incredible deal. Some of you will never experienced that but that was the houses just didn't move and in particular in Dothan they weren't moving and so we put our house up and said Lord you're going to have to sell our house but we got to Florida we had to have a place to live and we found a place that said we'll do a lease purchase deal with you and so you can lease it for a year and then we'll conclude the deal with you purchasing the house and we like the house and we said we're going to we're going to be either renting an apartment in it, so we'll do this we'll lease this house and so we leased understanding that a year later we would we would complete the purchase of the house. In the meantime, we still had the house here we were paying on, and I have to tell you, that's another story. Maybe someday I'll tell you because uh, the financial burden was incredible on us. In fact, if you had listed it on paper, it didn't match. There's no way we could do what we were doing, but we did, and I can't explain it except to say we were faithful. We obeyed God's Word about tithing and giving, we, uh, and we never missed a bill. We weren't even late on bills. We never missed a bill. And we never missed a, bill, uh, a meal. I mean, how did it happen? God took care of it. But the burden was still heavy. Does that make sense? We're making these two house payments. And, and so uh, the year uh, was coming to a close. In our house, nothing, nothing. Nothing had happened in almost a year. And so it's coming up to we've got to, we've got to, you know, now go ahead and take the next step with the house we were living in. And so I'm praying. We've been praying, God, you know, we need you to sell the house and that sort of stuff. And so we're praying. We're praying. God, God, do that. Well, um, it, it, we're coming close up to the deadline. And one morning I'm praying, and let me tell you why this passage is special. This is the passage I was in on the particular morning God spoke to me, Luke 11. And for some reason, the, the statement, if a, if a son asks a father for a fish, will he give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a, a scorpion? It just came alive to me. And occasionally there will be times, again, this is for another occasion, but God gives you the faith to believe what his word says. And in that moment, I suddenly, I saw that differently and I believed it. And I prayed that morning. I said, God, you know, we need to sell our house. And God, we don't have much time left. And nobody's been interested in our house. 
I remember that morning praying, Lord, I'm your son. And you said, Lord, and I read the scripture back to the Lord because that was for me, not for him. He, he already knew it. But I said, Lord, you've said if a son asks for fish that you'll not give him a serpent. And I am your son. And I'm asking you to sell my house. And gang, I had much more finished that where something inside of me just leapt. And God whispered to my heart. It wasn't audible, so, but he whispered to my heart and he said, it's done. It's done. The burden was lifted off of me. Couldn't pray about it anymore. And so I went about the rest of my day, the things I had to do. And when I came home that uh, evening, uh, early that evening, I pulled in the driveway, and my wife was standing out on the front porch, and she was kind of doing this. And I'm a young husband, so I, you know, I don't understand, don't steal the, the joy. And I got out of my car, and she said, you're never going to believe it. You're just never going to believe it. And I said, I said, you mean God sold our house today? And she went, How did you know? I said, God told me this morning that he sold the house. And she said, yeah, he sold the house today. Here's why I say, I, I say to you, folks, that's what Jesus told Don't give up. Don't quit. Stay committed. That process took a lot longer than I wanted it to. And it may be something else in your life, but you have, you've lost heart. Don't quit. But also remember what he said right here. And I remember saying that, Lord, I'm your son. I'm asking for fish, sell my house. And he did it. Well, stay at it. Stay in it. And then let's look finally at the last thing, and that is Jesus' promise from prayer. For everyone who receive, asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be open. That's a promise. Now, the promise is based on the process. Did you get that? The process is what we just talked about. What are the three components of the process? The first is what? Ask. Are y'all awake? Do I need to go back and do that point again? No, 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 please don't. Ask. Second. Seek. Third. No, that's the process. Okay? This, verse 10 and following, is the promise as a result of the process. All right? This is a promise for everyone, not just some, but everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to him that knocks, the door will be open. This promise is based on the process we just talked about. And by the way, implied in Jesus' teaching is the gracious and merciful response of God along with prayer that is aligned with his purposes. And I'm going to tell you how we know we're praying according to his purposes before we're done. But we ought to consider a couple of things from this, this uh, promise uh, that Jesus gives to us. Verse 11 tells us that Jesus' response is, first of all, relational. His, it, it, it's first of all, how, how, verse 11 says, What father among you, if his son asks, or you could say, or daughter, if his son asks for a fish, this is relational. Relationship to the Father is essential to effective prayer, okay? Relationship is essential. If you don't have a relationship with God, you're not going to have a connection with God in prayer. So, listen, if you're here or you're watching by live stream or television or listening by radio, uh, I want to remind you of something. A relationship with God is essential to prayer. And Jesus says, so which of you having a son? He didn't say, which of you knowing somebody? He said a son. This is relational. And so that's why it's so important for you. If you've not established a relationship with Jesus Christ, the most important thing you could do as a result of this message is to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. That's the most important thing. And then, guess what you do? Then you make a connection that enables you to communicate, to go deeper with him, to bring your needs before him. Relationship is absolutely uh, uh, vital. 
And if you've grown apart from God, your prayer will be ineffective. Did you know that? You say, well, I'm a, I'm a believer, so I'm a child. But if you've grown apart from God, your prayer life is going to suffer. We sometimes hear people say things like this, well, just pray. Like prayer is some mystical practice that just causes things to happen. Listen, prayer is personal and relational because prayer has to have an object. Faith in prayer is not blind faith. It is faith expressed in an object, and the object is Jesus Christ. So when you hear somebody say, well, just pray, say, pray to who? Pray, pray what? You see, prayer is relational. It takes a personal connection for us to, to pray uh, to God. And Jesus is saying to us that you can't separate your relationship with God from your prayer life. Okay? So the first thing that we observe about the promise is it's relational. You got that? Here's the second thing we consider about the promise, and that is Jesus' response is exceptional. It's exceptional. Look at verse 13. He concludes this saying, if then uh, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This is an exceptional response to the promise of Jesus uh, uh, answering to those who ask, seek, and knock. And His point is that if an imperfect earthly father will attempt to meet the needs of his earthly children... If he will do that, how much more will the perfect heavenly father do it for his own children? And the greatest gift that he wants to give is the gift of the Holy Spirit, which goes beyond just your need. It is an exceptionally gracious gift from God for more than just our momentary need with God. In fact, Paul said this in Ephesians 3. He said, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. He's saying, and the reason that Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit being given to us is because this is the game changer. The gift of the Spirit of God takes our prayer life to a whole new level. Jesus said in the final discourse with his disciples in John, he said, it is imperative that I go to the Father. See, they wanted him to stay. They'd been with him for three years. He'd been their teacher, their mentor, their instructor. They'd come to recognize him as God in the flesh. They wanted him to stay with them. And he says, I I, I need to tell you something. I'm going to the Father, but it is vital for me to go to the Father because unless I go to the Father, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. And so he said uh, to them, I have been with you But he, the Spirit, will be in you. What he's saying is it's much better for me through the Spirit to live inside of you than it is for me just to physically be around you. And so he says, I'm going to the Father so I can send back the Spirit, and the Spirit will lead you into all truth. He will convict you of sin. He tells them all sorts of things that the Spirit will do. And why did Jesus say this about the Spirit, though, and how does it connect to our prayers? It connects this way. Romans 8, 26, write this verse down and go back and look at it, but let me read it to you. Paul writes and says, Likewise, the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, helps us in our weakness. What's our weakness? He says, For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. We don't really know how to pray. It's not like I don't have some things to pray about. We don't really know how do we take our prayers before God. We're not real good at that. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Is that incredible? That's why he ends this by saying, and so what he does is exceptional. He doesn't just meet your need. He goes beyond your need. He gives you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one that helps you make connections when you pray with the Father. Paul says then, we don't know how to pray as we ought to. We're weak about that. But the Spirit intercedes for you and I. And so the Spirit takes, when you and I pray, the Spirit takes that and says, 
I'm going to get that to the Father for you. Because you, you didn't quite know how to say what needed to be said. I sometimes think this. The Holy Spirit probably, when I pray, sometimes goes, Father, here's what he's trying to say. That's the picture right there. You and I, we pray and we think we got it, we, we got it. And, and the Spirit says, okay, it's all right. I'm going to take it and I'm going to make it meaningful to the Father. So when you, when you understand that based on what Paul said, you understand how important the Spirit is inside of us to help us pray. So when he says the gift of the Spirit is given to you for the purpose of prayer, among many other things, obviously what he's saying is uh, this whole prayer thing is about me aligning your prayers with the Father. People say, well, how can I know that I'm praying in the will of God? I'm going to give you the answer to that. You will always pray in the will of God when the Spirit of God rules over your life. So you won't have to worry, well, I hope I'm not abusing my prayer privileges and that sort of stuff. Look, walk in the Spirit of God and you will always pray in accord with the will of God. So the real question is not uh, my motive in prayer. The real question becomes, am I filled with Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit ruling over me? If the Holy Spirit is ruling over me, guess what? I will always pray in alignment with the purposes of God. Because the Spirit of God is never going to be inconsistent with the Father. Hello? Does that make sense? So if the Spirit is Lord, then my prayer, I won't have to worry about it. I hope I'm praying uh, the right thing for the right reason. If the first place to start is saying, is He Lord of my life? The Spirit of God is necessary to effective and powerful prayer. But it gets back to relationship. It all goes back to relationship. And so I want to close by asking you this. How's your relationship with God? Do you have one? And if you don't, that's where you got to start. Uh, before you even start asking and seeking and knocking, you got to start here. Relationship first, Okay. So do you have one? If you don't, you can. You can today. If you're watching us on live stream or television, listening by radio, right here in this audience, you can meet him today. And that has to be, look, I I implore you, if you've never put your trust in Jesus, that first, that first. And you say, well, I've done that. But my prayer life isn't very effective. Then is Jesus Christ really Lord of your life? Is he Lord over your life? Or is he just a part of your life? You see, when you get saved, the Spirit comes in. He becomes resident in your life. But the question is, is he president over your life? Does he call the shots? Does he lead you? Do you follow his promptings? You get it? So the Spirit of God has to rule over you in order for your prayers to be effective. And if you've, if you've wandered from that, it's time to, to, he says, if, we're, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. Forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Today's the day for you to say to him, Lord, here are some things I need to deal with, and I'm going to deal with those things because I want you to be the ruler, Lord, of my life. And he's given us a promise that he'll take care of that. Let's pray. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior today, you can do that. Regardless of the medium whether you're here live or live stream. And you can do that by calling on him. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, the Scripture says, will be saved. How do you call on him? Right now in your heart, you can offer prayer to him. It goes something like this. You can say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I can't handle my sin, but you did handle my sin when you died on the cross for me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for loving me. And right now, I invite you to come into my life, forgive me of my sin, and be my Savior, and be my Master. Now, some of you in this place are watching, again, uh, through live stream or whatever, and and you'd say, you know what, I've I've done that, but I have strayed. I'm no longer walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe there's some things you need to tell Him right now in the quietness of your heart. In this, in this room or whatever, you just say to him, Lord, here's something that I know that keeps me from walking 
And I want to confess that to you. And I confess it to you because I want you to rule over my life. Would you rule? Whatever it is that's keeping you from ruling over my life today, I I surrender that to you fresh. He will hear that. Lord, I pray that you will move now, these moments before we're gone. Would you move? Would Would you move us, Father, to that next place, that next level? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? Bradley's going to pray and pray, um, sing and, and lead us here in just a moment in song. And this is an invitation time. And there'll be staff members on these aisles. And I want to invite you to do one of several things. Maybe you prayed that prayer you called out on Christ. Uh, and today you need to, to come and say, Pastor, I did that. I prayed that prayer. Wonderful. I called on Christ. We'll help you with that. And we'll help you take the next steps and everything. It's not hard. It's not complicated. But you just come to one of us and say, I prayed that prayer to trust Christ. Maybe today you're in this place and you say, you know what, I, I need a church home, a church family, and I want to join a Ridgecrest. And I know the Lord is my Savior. I just need a, a family. If you don't have a church home to belong to, you do need one. A Christian without a church family is an orphan. And so I invite you to come to one of us and say, I'd like to join. You can do all of this on that little tear-off panel. If you, if you wish, you say, I'm just scared to death to walk down there. It's okay. And drop it in the offering baskets on the way out. And we'll take care of it from there. But maybe today you'll come and say, I need to do that. Maybe you're here and you say, I need to be baptized. We won't do that now, but we'll schedule a time for you to be baptized in obedience to the command of Christ. Or maybe you want to do what these altars are designed for. You want to come and pray. There's something going on that you just need to talk to the Lord about. You're praying for someone. There's some decision that you've got to make, and you just need the counsel and the wisdom of God. You're His child. If you know Him, you go and kneel before Him. Father, I'm asking for fish. You'll hear that. You ready? This readily leads us. You slip out. Balcony, ground floor. You come on right now. Come on.